Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Well, good morning, Lake Point family. It is good to be in the church house today, isn't it? Hey, can we start off today just in the spirit of Thanksgiving with just highlighting something cool that happened in the life of our church last week? I don't know if you were at services last week, uh, but man, that was an amazing message that we got to experience last week, and I want you to hear this. When you calculate across all campuses, we had over 160 people that turned their life over to Jesus and we're transformed forever. That's pretty awesome. I mean, that's pretty, pretty unbelievable. Guys, that, that kind of stuff just never ceases to amaze me. Man, just fills my heart with gratitude that we get to be a part of a church where God is at work, man. And I'm telling you, he's at work today too. And we've been in the middle of a series called uh, in, in the book of Jonah. And man, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, but today we conclude our series. And so I just pray that God speaks to your heart today as we open up Jonah chapter Four and hear about the story. Now, to back up, just to kind of catch everybody up, Jonah chapter one, you've heard the story before. God tells Jonah to go to a city called Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian nation. The Assyrians, most scholars and uh, historians would all agree that Assyria was considered to be a terrorist state. When you calculate all the things that they've done and you know just how brutal these people were, they were vicious, vile, evil people. And God tells Jonah to go to their, his mortal enemy's hometown and tell them about God and his graciousness and his goodness and tell them to repent. So obviously Jonah has a little bit of a disagreement with that. And so he decides instead of obey God, he ran from God. And God pursued him. You see in chapter two, God sends him a big storm to kind of wake him up and then a fish to rescue him out of the sea. And Jonah, we see in, in chapter three, turns his heart back to God and he repents. And he decides he's gonna get on board with God's ways because God's ways are always better than ours. God's plans are always better than our plans. And he shows up in the city of Nineveh. And in chapter four, what we find out is that Jonah walks into the city and preaches in Hebrew words a five-word sermon. If you read it in Jonah chapter three, it's actually eight words in English, but it was five words in Hebrew. Think about this. He walks into the great city of Nineveh, the Assyrian capital, and he preaches five words. And we're told that the entire city is completely transformed. Like, you, I mean, if you ever think about this for a second, like God has told you to go and tell people about Jesus and share your faith, and that seems pretty intimidating because most of us believe that in order to do that, we've got to come up with some, you know, rock, rock solid proof and argument for the existence of God and and be able to answer every question known to man inside the Bible for people to really respond to God's word. And that's not what he's asking. I mean, this is what uh, God told Jonah to go in and speak five words. 
And we see this radical transformation. Well, actually, pick it up in Jonah chapter three. Let me read it for you. It says, Jonah chapter three, verse six, says, when, God, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, and, and, uh, and covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust. Now, what we see in scripture is that then he ordered, issued a decree for the entire city of Nineveh to pray and to fast and to repent from their sins. And then, verse 10, look what happens. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And in that moment, a miracle happened. Jonah became one of the most successful prophets in the history of the world. A city where we're told later on in this particular passage, there's 120,000 people in this city. Matter of fact, some historians actually believe it was closer to 300,000, depending on how they were actually counting. This was a massive city. He walks in the city, preaches five words, and that entire city is turned up, upside down. It turns on a dime, and God does a miraculous work right in front of them. And when you consider just where Jonah had come from, the way that Jonah had disobeyed God and run from him and and turned his back on God, and then how God restored him and sent him back in on his mission. And you see what God did through that man. It just, it just, it just reminds you of what God can do th through you. Think about it. When, if you, it doesn't matter how far you've gone or what you've done or what your history looks like. God can do remarkable things through you. If he could do it through Jonah, he could do it through you. So we pick up the story today in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, where we actually see Jonah's response. I mean, Think about it for a second. What would your response be if you just witnessed this incredible, miraculous transformation of the Assyrian city of Nineveh, and you saw God do that transformative work through your life? How would you feel, huh? So let's take a look at Jonah's response. Jonah chapter four, verse one says, but Jonah was greatly displeased, and he became angry. Now, does that make any sense to anyone? When you consider what God just did in Jonah's life and in the life of nearly 300,000 Assyrians, why in the world would you be angry? We continue on. Verse two, Jonah began to pray to the Lord. He said, oh Lord, this is what I said would happen when I was still at home. That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. That's interesting, isn't it? Because just a few chapters before, Joseph was, I mean, Jonah was begging for the mercy and grace of God. But when it comes to the Assyrian nation of Nineveh, he wanted justice. He wanted, he wanted them to pay for what they had done. We do it too, don't we? We love, we love to get the grace and mercy of God. We love to shower ourselves with grace and mercy and we expect justice for everyone else. We're not too far off from this story. Really what Jonah was saying is, God, God, this is not the way that this thing was supposed to go. You told me that you were gonna send me into that city. I was gonna preach that they needed to repent or God, you were going to destroy them. You were gonna flatten them. You were gonna destroy them all. That's what was supposed to happen, God. It was not supposed to to go this way. I expected, God, you to do something completely different, but I just knew, God, you were gracious and compassionate, full of, full of compassion, righteousness. God, I can't believe you did it. 
it was not supposed to go this way. Now, before we write ourselves out of this story and go, man, I can't, I, I can't, I can't really uh, relate to Jonah's condition here. Have you ever been in that situation where you, you found yourself in a situation where you go, you know, it was not supposed to go this way? When I can take stock of my current life and where I am, my current circumstances, I go, God, I, I had different expectations for the way that we think we're supposed to go. When I look at where I am right now, God, it's not supposed to be this way. Things didn't turn out the way that I hoped. People are not acting the way that I had hoped they would. Things were not supposed to go this way. The reality is, is Jonah finds himself in a very familiar place to most of us. Here's, give me, just to, just to illustrate this point, most of us live our lives with a certain set of expectations or desires, do we not? We have expectations about how things are gonna go in life, in our marriage, in our career, with our kids, how other people are gonna respond. We have certain desires and expectations about how, how life is supposed to go. And the reality is, is whether we acknowledge it or not, we walk through life with these expectations and desires. Some of them are good. Some of them are fully justified. The problem comes when reality doesn't match up with our expectations. Man, I thought things were gonna go this way, but in reality, it turned out a completely different way. You know, I, I realized this in my, 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 my uh, relationship with my wife early on. You see, she had this expectation that on Valentine's Day, you would get cards, chocolates, you know, uh, you know notes of encouragement, little teddy bears and that sort of thing. It, that was her expectation, fully justified, right? In reality, it wasn't even on my calendar, and I forgot Valentine's Day, the first year that we were dating, okay? That's exactly what happens in our life. We have certain expectations about the way that people are going to, uh, how circumstances are gonna turn out in our life and how people are, are going to relate and respond to us. And, and oftentimes, reality doesn't measure up. And what we fill in the gap is simple. It's disappointment. Some point in your life, you're gonna find yourself with this gap. This gap is going to exist in your life at some point, if it doesn't exist right now in your life today, where you take an evaluation of where you are in life and you had an expectation about the way that things were gonna go. God, I was supposed to get that promotion. Man, I was, God, I really expected to be in this job for the rest of my life, and somehow it just ended unexpectedly. Man, I, I, thought my, I thought my relationship was gonna be a lot easier than, than it is. God, I don't know why she's treating me or he's treating me the way that he is. I had these expectations and desires in my life, but somehow reality is not measuring up. And in that gap, we fill it with disappointment. And eventually, disappointment leads to bitterness and resentment. You can see it in Jonah's life. Jonah got angry at God. He had an expectation about how God was going to react to the Assyrians, to the Ninevites. And in reality, God, God decided to do something different. He was not only disappointed, but he became resentful and angry. And the funny thing about anger is that anger never colors between the lines, doesn't it? You ever been in that situation where, man, you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off in traffic and you're just going, uh-uh. That's my lane. I spend the next three or four miles trying to figure out how I'm going to get back in front of you because you belong behind me, right? Where does all that anger come from? Where does it all come? Have you ever been in a situation where the anger or your response to a, uh, some circumstance in your life don't really warrant the emotions that it elicits? Like you just lose it for no reason whatsoever. Why does that happen? Man, your kids act out and all of a sudden you just, you just lose it. 
Man, and, and it's some insignificant small thing that they did, but somehow it elicits emotions that are deep down inside of you. You know why? Because some point in your life, disappointment or resentment or bitterness got lodged in your heart. And it doesn't stay there for long. It grows until it turns into anger. And anger never colors between the lines. It always finds its way out and usually finds its way out in the people that deserve it the least and who, the people that we love the most, right? Jonah's life, it followed an even more predictable and devastating pattern because it didn't just go from disappointment to resentment and bitterness and then to anger, but it went to self-pity and despair. We're told that eventually Jonah just gave up and he left and he went outside the city, made a shelter in the desert. And he just said, fine, I guess I'm, I'm just gonna take myself out of the equation altogether. I guess I'll never be happy in life. Matter of fact, you know what he tells God? He says, because you didn't do what I wanted you to do, God, I would rather die. And you see the spiral of that resentment and bitterness took him down all the way to the point where he was completely full of despair and even depression, right? How in the world does that kind of stuff happen in our life? Well, James actually gives us a, a, a clear picture of this. When I was studying this passage, I kept thinking about, thought about Jonah 4, but then I thought about James chapter 4. James really summarizes this condition really clearly. He says, James chapter four, verse one, says, what causes all these fights and quarrels among you? What causes all the angst and anxiety and anger and bitterness and resentment inside, inside of you? To which you and I would respond, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what causes all this anger and bitterness and rage and fighting within me. It's the person sitting next to me. It's my kids when they don't behave. They don't do what I want them to do. It's my boss. If you knew who my boss was and how he acted, you would know exactly why I feel the way that I do. But James points something out that I think is, takes us a little bit deeper. He asks the question this. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Uh-uh. No, 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 no. No. The, the reason I'm angry, the reason I feel disappointed, the reason I'm frustrated to God has nothing to do with me, has to do with my circumstances, has to do with the people that are in my life. And what James is pointing out is he said, listen, you can blame all day long, but blame never gets you the happiness that you want. You cannot blame your way to joy and happiness in life. He said, he says, really what you're warring against is the battles that are inside of you. And then he goes on to say this. He says, you, you want something, but you don't get it. You didn't get your way, so there's something inside of you that is warring against you. I'll tell you, I learned this real fast early on in my life, just how selfish and self-centered I really am. The day that I got married, <laughs> we got married, and I realized just how selfish and self-centered I, I really am. Because my wife moved in. Man, she had a completely different idea about the way the house was gonna look and, and the way that we were gonna decorate. Like she actually wanted to decorate, all right? She actually wanted to put stuff on the walls. I thought it was fine just the way that it was, right? And all of a sudden we realized that I had, I wanted to get my way and so did my wife. Their selfishness began to boil up inside of me, right? And then I learned again just how selfish and self-centered I was the day that we started having kids. And I realized these little mini-me's uh, were running around and they had their own set of expectations and their own desires. And they were very vocal about what they wanted and what they wanted. And it often warred against what I wanted in my life. And I realized just how selfish and self-centered I was. I tell you where I really learned this. 
when I started coaching Little League Soccer, right? We started, I've been coaching Little League Soccer for about 10 years. I love coaching soccer, it's so much fun to me. I actually coach in a league where, you know, it's really all about having fun, we don't really keep score, we're not supposed to keep score, that is, but I can just tell you this, I'm keeping score, all right? And so is everybody else on that field. The kids are, the parents are, and you better believe the coach is too, right? You know, and, and so I've coached teams all the way up oftentimes and we, we get moved up into an age bracket where we're the youngest of the team. I actually love those years because it's our, those are our building years where I find that it really stretches us and really, we can really learn the game the best when we're playing kids that are older than us. And so, but it's always difficult because there's something inside me that just wants to win, you know? It's because I want my way, you know? So there have been times where we've been playing out in the field my team gets out there, and I look across the field, and man, they got all these kids are out there, and they're like six feet tall, you know? They're six, seven-year-olds. This kid's six feet tall and got facial hair, right? Look at them going, and this is the girls' team, all right? So I'm like, what? Sure enough, that little six-foot-tall seven-year-old is out there, and he, they're just running the field, you know? Get the ball, run down, and score on us right away. And see, we're, we're supposed to be a good coach, and so I'm supposed to cheer on the other team, yeah, good job, man, great job, that's a great goal, all right, defense, let's you know, rally around, but there's something inside me that's getting mad, all right? And then that little, that little you know, six-foot-tall, seven-year-old scores on us again, cheering him. Good job, good job. That, that kid gets the ball again, gets the ball a third time and runs it all the way down and scores on us. And I pull our defense in and I just look at him and say, sweep the leg. <laughs> Take that little seven-year-old out, right? Where in the world does that come from? Is it that seven-year-old's fault? No, it's not. You know where it comes from? It comes from something that is, that is warring inside me. And James goes a step, step deeper. He actually uses the word, the desires that are inside you. That word desires from the Greek word, we get the word hedonism. Hedonism is the, the selfish pursuit of, of, of pleasure above all other things. It's the belief system that says that if I don't get my way or if I don't get what I want, then I will never be happy or fulfilled in life. And this is exactly what James is saying. He's saying, you know why, you, why disappointment and bitterness and anger get the best of you? Because you didn't get your way. What you've done, and what I've done, is we've handed the keys of our happiness over to our circumstances and people in our life. And we expect them to deliver. And, and friends, they'll never be able to deliver. We've turned, we've turned the keys of our joy, happiness, and fulfillment over in life to people and circumstances that were never meant to carry it. So what do you do? What do you do when you're in a situation where you, where you look at your current circumstances and you go, God, I don't, I don't think it was supposed to go this way. I feel, I feel disappointment in life. Things are not going the way that I had hoped. This is not the way that it was supposed to be. What are you supposed to do? I wanna spend the rest of our time today just looking at the life of Jonah and discovering the things that you and I have to remember when things don't go our way. And the first thing that you and I need to remind ourselves when we find ourselves in the gap of disappointment is that God is infinitely wise and he can see things that you can't see. Take a look at Jonah chapter four. So Jonah's angry, and then God responds to Jonah's prayer, and he says, Jonah, 
is it right for you to be angry? Matter of fact, a little side note here. If you were to, you, you can actually translate, uh, translate this actually two different ways in the Hebrew language. Um, and so some of your Bibles have a different translation. It might actually say, is it, is, it, is it well for you to be angry? Does it go well for you in your anger? What he's trying to say is, how's that working for you? How is that anger and bitterness really working for you? Is it really making things better in your life? I love this translation, translation because it's an obvious question. God is not asking the question because he wants information. He is asking the question so Jonah can, something can be revealed in Jonah's heart. He says, is it right for you? Does it make sense for you to be angry in life? I mean, after all, I'm the creator of the universe. I mean, look around you. Everything that you see, taste, touch, smell, the entire world that you know and the, and the universe beyond it, I create it. And by the way, I hold it all together. The air that you're breathing right now, it's my breath that you're breathing today. It's, it's, it's all mine. And because I'm infinitely powerful, I'm also infinitely wise. And, and here's the thing. Most of us would not disagree with that theological assertion that if God were God, then he would have to be infinitely wise. If I were to poll the audience right now, 100% of you would say, yep, if God were God, he would have to be infinitely wise. And we would not question the infinite wisdom of God until God tells us to do something that we're uncomfortable with, it doesn't make sense. Like go to the city of Nineveh. Number two, we question the wisdom of God when we don't like the outcomes of our life, when things aren't going the way that we expected them to. I think I've told you before that about 10 years ago, I got my pilot's license, and I love everything about planes and aviation. Matter of fact, I, somebody joked with me earlier today, says, Greg, you can't step on that stage without talking about airplanes, and you're right. You're gonna get two plane stories today, all right? But a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to go back up uh, and fly and because I hadn't flown in a couple of years, it had actually been about two years, I decided to go up with a, a flight instructor just to kind of knock the rust off. And he asked me, he said, Greg, okay, we're going up flying today. Where do you want to go? I said, man, my favorite thing to do is to fly in the most congested, complex airspace. So we took off out of Rockwall and headed towards Dallas, man. We got on with air traffic control, and they were, they were routing us around and that sort of thing. And he said, hey, let's find a towered airport that we can land at. That's an airport that actually has a control tower on it, which means that when you enter their airspace, they call the shots. They tell you what to do, where to go, how to end the pattern, everything about that. So I'm thinking, okay, we're headed to this airport. So I began rehearsing in my mind what it was going to take for me to land the plane. Understand for a minute, I hadn't flown a plane in two years I hadn't landed a plane in two years either, okay? So I was rehearsing in my mind everything that we needed to do to land the plane safely, right? I began thinking about um, what altitude that I needed to be at at different phases of the approach. I knew what flap settings and speed settings and power settings I needed to have at, at different phases of that approach into that airport. And so I was thinking through all of this, rehearsing all of that in my mind, and then we entered into the, uh, the airspace for this particular control tower. And we called the control tower, and immediately he began routing us a different way into the airport than what I had planned. And I began thinking about it and going, man, I, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't planned for that. Matter of fact, I... Man, it started throwing all of my plans and preparations completely out the window, right? And so in the moment, I was just thinking, okay, this guy has no idea 
who's flying this plane right now, okay? If he knew, if he knew who I was and my experience level, man, if he had all the information that I had, man, I think, I think he would change his mind. Matter of fact, I'm gonna help him change his mind. I was about to get on the radio and tell him what I thought. And then all of a sudden, my instructor nudged me and he said, Greg, 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 see, look out there. I see why he's telling us to do what he's telling us to do. There was a jet that was actually pulling onto the runway. We could see the runway. It was far off, a couple miles in the distance, but we could still see what was happening on the airport. I could see a jet pulling onto the runway that we were supposed to land on. And then we could hear through the radio the jet talking to the control tower, and he was giving him instructions about his departure. And it turns out that his departure was going to put him in the exact same spot that I had planned to enter the pattern, which means it would have been a bad day for Pastor Greg in that airplane, right? I thought in that moment, I will never, ever question air traffic control ever again, right? Why? Because they had perspective and information that I didn't have. Matter of fact, if you step into that control tower, you would see just the volume of information that they have at their disposal. Just limitless number of screens filled with all kinds of data about the airport, the planes that are flying around, their airspeed, altitude, all of their intentions, all the, all the approach charts, the departure charts for that particular airport are all in front of them. They have, they have weather radar. They have all of the information they need in front of them to direct the traffic. And matter of fact, it would be completely overwhelming to step into that environment. But for them, man, it allows them to, to create a perfectly safe choreographed environment that ensures the proper separation between all of the aircraft from each other and from obstructions in the area and even weather systems. You see, it was a, it's, it's just a perfectly choreographed environment. They had information and perspective I did not have. Now, you multiply that by about a billion and you'll begin to get a sense of the perspective and the information and the wisdom that our God has. He's infinitely wise. And he can see things that you and I can't. Now, here's the thing. Most of us have had some kind of personal experience with the wisdom of God. We've trusted God with what he said to do in, your, in our life. We've put it into practice in our life. And we've seen the wisdom play out in our life. Even with circumstances. Something happens in your life. Things don't go the way that you wanted to. Maybe you had this perfect job. You thought it was the perfect job. And then for some reason, that job ended or you got moved. Man, and you thought, man, it was the perfect place. I don't see what God's doing. But Fast forward a couple of years and you realize exactly what was God, God was doing. He put you in the perfect place around the perfect people and the perfect job and you see how God orchestrated all of that stuff on your behalf. High school students, young people, listen. You may have had a relationship with some girl, man, and she was, man, she was beautiful. She was the perfect girl, right? You just, you thought, man, you guys were perfect together. You would spend the rest of your life together. You were completely in love. And then one day she dumps you for some other guy and you feel like it just devastated your life. You're filled with all kinds of disappointment and anger and rage, right? Until one day you go to school and there's a new girl there. And you're like, praise God, there is a God, praise him, hallelujah, right? Right, we see, we can see with the limited time and perspective that we've had so far, the wisdom of God played out in our life and our personal experiences, just with the limited time and perspective that we have. Now, imagine for a moment if you had unlimited time and unlimited perspective, don't you think that we would be able to see a reason for all of it? That's because our God is infinitely wise, and you can trust him. You can. The reason you can trust him is because our second point is that God 
is really good, even when you don't see it or understand it. Take a look at Jonah again. So Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city out in the desert, in the heat of the desert, exposed to all of the elements out there. And there he made himself a shelter and he sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. You see, Jonah was still waiting for God to do what he had hoped and destroy the city. So he had ringside seats outside of the city just to see if God would actually bring down destruction on them. But really, he was just immersed in self-pity and despair and frustration. And then I want you to see this in verse six. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. You see that? That even though Jonah was frustrated and mad at God and full of anger and resentment and bitterness, God was still good to him. God was still working in his life to provide for him everything that he needed. Jonah couldn't see it. Jonah was so filled with his resentment and disappointment, the way things had gone, that he couldn't see the goodness of God that was working all around him. We do the same thing, don't we? And we become so focused on all of the, the negativity and bad things that are happening in our life that we completely miss around the, the blessings of God. So a couple years ago, we were flying with a team of students to South Africa, and we got on this flight, it was Emirates, and Emirates has really nice airplanes, like all the newest technology inside the airplanes. We were flying on this 777, and it took us over the Arctic Circle, the North Pole, all the way to the city of Dubai, and then we were going to fly down to South Africa the next day. And so we're on this plane, and man, as soon as we sit down, it's got these big screen TVs right in front of the largest screens I'd ever seen on an airplane. And we're sitting back in coach, man. I can't imagine what it's like up in business class or first class. But man, we had our own screens there, like 200-something movies. We're all just settling in for the flight. Well, about a, a, a couple of hours into the flight, we realized that on this particular flight, they actually provided free Wi-Fi for everybody on the plane, certain data limits, but that means that you can text. Man, we started taking pictures and uploading to Instagram, telling people, taking pictures of like, we were over like the North Pole, okay? So we we're flying over there and we could just see everything below us. It was so much fun. And then all of a sudden, man, and we're just like enamored with this technology and this plane and all of a sudden the Wi-Fi cut out on the plane. Man, we're trying to figure out what in the world's going on, man. Finally called the, the flight attendant over and go, hey, is there something wrong with the Wi-Fi? It's not working anymore. And they go, and the, wife, the, the, uh, the flight attendant kindly said, well, that's because we've kind of entered into that Arctic Circle area, and we actually have a gap in our coverage out here. And you imagine that. <laughs> in the middle of the Arctic Circle, they have a gap in their cellular coverage, okay? So they have this, we have a gap. It'll pick up when we get like closer to Norway, all right? I was like, okay, that's fine. Walked away, and I just thought, are you kidding? I was like mid-text. My wife's waiting, like cliffhanger, right? She really wasn't, but she's waiting for me to respond to her text message. I can't get word to her, hey, that we're okay. The plane didn't go down, we're, we're fine. And I could just feel myself getting really frustrated over the fact that the Wi-Fi cut out, you know? And in, the, in that moment, I completely forgot, and I heard, a, I heard a guy put it this way. He said, in that moment, I had, completely, I had completely forgotten the fact that I was sitting in a chair, flying at 30,000 feet, 600 miles an hour through the clouds, over the North Pole. There were a lot of really good things that were happening to me right in that moment. I couldn't see it because the Wi-Fi didn't work, right? You know what else was going really good in that plane? The engines. 
they were still working, right? They're still spinning and projecting us through the air at 600 miles an hour. Hey, you know what else was going really good in that moment? The pressurization equipment on the plane was functioning properly. You know how I knew this? Because I could breathe. I could breathe at 30,000 feet, and we weren't dying of like frostbite up there because it's so cold at that altitude. The navigation equipment was working just fine. All of these incredible miracles, by the way, of flight were happening all around me, and I couldn't see it or appreciate any of it because the Wi-Fi wouldn't work, right? How often do we just completely forget about all of the blessings that God is still extending to us in our periods of disappointment and frustration? God is still good. He's still extending it to you. Whether you deserve it or not, he's still good to you. But oftentimes what happens is our disappointments, frustration, bitterness, resentment builds up so much in our heart that it gives us this myopic tunnel vision that we can't see anything but the things that we're disappointed in. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says this, give thanks to God in all circumstances, for this is God's will for your life in Christ Jesus. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. And you go, Greg, man, that all sounds good, but I can't, I don't, you don't understand. If you understood my circumstances, you understood what was going on in my life, all the struggles, if you knew my boss, if you knew how things were going in at home, you understood the gap of frustration and disappointment that I'm in, you would understand why I can't feel thankful right now. Man, and you might be completely justified, but that's not what that passage said. It didn't say feel thanks in all circumstances. It said give thanks in all circumstances. And something powerful begins to happen in our life when we begin to acknowledge the goodness of God in, our, in every area of our life. What happens is that it's our actions of faith that actually produce qualities of faith in us. Like you want these certain qualities in your life, you don't necessarily feel it, begin acting that way and you would begin to see how God through his spirit transforms your heart. It's, it's the actions of gratitude, of giving thanks that actually produces feelings of gratitude inside of you. You could say it this way. It's our actions that actually produce our attitude. It's a principle that runs true in almost every area of our faith. Just start giving thanks. Begin to acknowledge the goodness of God all around you. And I, you need to know that God is good. I love John Piper, what he says. He says, did you know that God is doing about 10 thousand different things in your life. You're probably only aware of about three of them. Isn't that true? Did you know that he's working in your life right now today? He's extending you grace and goodness you didn't deserve. He's taking care of you. He's providing for you. He's ministering to you even in the midst of your frustration. You may even be mad at him. God's still good to you. And we've got to remember that the next time you find yourself in a gap of disappointment and frustration, things don't go your way. Remember, remember, don't forget. God's wise. He knows what he's doing. He can see things that you can't see, and he's good. You can trust him because he's good, and he has your good in mind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that truth. We thank you for the fact that, God, you're always at work in our life. You know what's good for us even when we don't. We thank you, God, that sometimes you remove things out of our life, things that we consider to be good, but God, they're, they're really taking our attention off of the source of goodness and joy in our life. That's you. 
So Father, God, in our midst of our disappointment and frustration, God, I pray it doesn't turn to bitterness. I pray it turns to trust today. We trust you, God, because you are wise and you're good. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. Thank you.